Be seated. So, as you're being seated, uh, Ezra chapter 10. Ezra chapter 10. So here we are at Ezra 10, the last, the last chapter of the book, and the book closes in kind of an interesting way. Ezra and other men skilled in the law have returned to Jerusalem, and they've been teaching the people how to live holy lives, that they may become, remember, a holy priesthood, setting an example for the people of the world. And instead of being a holy people, it comes to light in Ezra chapter 9 that there's some troubles, that the people, especially the leaders, have married pagan women, and they've adopted their, their abominable practices. What does Ezra do? Ezra fasts, he prays, he mourns for the great sin of the people. One thing is for sure, one thing is for sure, there is going to be a divorce. The question is, from whom? Those that have married foreign women have taken their gods. They have forsaken their first love. The Lord, who redeemed them out of slavery, first from Egypt, first from the Egyptians, then most recently from the Babylonians. Before these people, there is a choice. There is a choice between life and between death. For the bride, for the bride cannot marry two different lovers. Continue in this relationship with the pagan women. Serve their gods, and then you must renounce the possessions of the land. Remember that land was a wedding gift from our Lord. If you serve the gods of the land, then you are divorcing yourself from the God, the Lord God. And your descendants will only find death. The other option before them, the other divorce, the other option is to repent. Divorce the pagan women. Put aside their gods and renew the covenant to the rightful groom. As they serve God, they will find fruitfulness and they will find life. We should all hate divorces, but we cannot be married to multiple lovers. This chapter of scripture is not for the faint of heart, for in it we'll find weeping, trembling, and the wrath of God. Yet, there is hope. We need to be brave, we need to be courageous. We need to enter into God's presence and there embrace all of his word, even as a bride embraces and loves her husband. Before we uh, go to Ezra chapter 10, let's pray. Almighty Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to this passage, teach us to fear you and no one else, for there we will find wisdom to walk in loving obedience not only for us, Lord, but we pray this for our children and our children's children as well. Father, this we pray in Jesus' name and to his glory. Amen. Ezra chapter 10. Some more tongue twisters here for names, but let's see how we do. Now, while Ezra was praying, and while he was confessing, weeping, and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel. For the people wept bitterly. And Shekinah, the son of Jehel, one of the sons of Elam, spoke up and said to Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken pagan wives from the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel in spite of this. Now, 
Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God and put away all these wives and those who have been born to them according to the advice of my master and those who tremble at the command of our God. And let it be done according to the law. Arise, arise, for this matter is your responsibility. You are also with, with, we are also with you. Be of good courage and do it. Then Ezra arose and made the leaders of the priests and the Levites and all Israel swear an oath that they would do according to, his, to this word. So they swore an oath. Then Ezra rose up before the house of God and went into the chamber of Johanan, the son of Elashib. And when he came there, he ate no bread and drank no water. For he mourned because of the guilt of those from captivity. And they issued a proclamation throughout, throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the descendants of captivity that they must gather at Jerusalem. And whoever would not come within three days, according to the instruction of the leaders and elders, all his property would be confiscated. And he himself would be separated from the assembly of those from captivity. So all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered at Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month on the 20th of the month. And all the people sat in the open square of the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of heavy rain. Then Ezra, the priest, stood up and said, You have transgressed and have taken pagan wives, adding to this guilt of Israel. Now, therefore, make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do his will. Separate yourself from the people of the land and from these pagan wives. Then all the assembly answered and said in a loud voice, Yes! As you have said, so we must do. But there are many people, and it is a season for heavy rain. We are not able to stand outside, nor is this the work of one or two days. For there are many of us who have transgressed in this matter. Please let the leaders of our assembly stand, and let those in our cities who have taken the pagan wives come at appointed times together with the elders and the judges of their city, until the fierce wrath of our God is turned away from us in this matter. Only Jonathan, the son of Ashiel, and Jehazi, the son of Tikvah, opposed this, and Meshulam and Shabathi, the Levite, gave them support. Then the descendants of the captivity did so, and Ezra the priest, with certain heads of the father's house, were set apart by the father's household, each by name, and they sat down on the first day of the tenth month to examine the matter. The first day of the first month, they finished questioning all the men who had taken pagan wives. And among the sons of the priests who had taken pagan wives, the following were found to be sons of Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and his brothers Masahi, Eleazar, Jarib, Gedaliah, and they gave their promise, then they put away their wives. And being guilty, they presented a ram of the flock as a trespass offering. And also the sons of Immer, Hasnani, Zeb Zebediah, and the sons of Harim, and Mashiach, Elijah, Shemaiah, Jehiel, and Uzziah, and the sons of Pashur, Elaniah, Masiah, Ishmael, Nathahan, Nathahanel, Josabad, Elsa, and the Levites, Josabad, Shemaiah, Kaliah, the same as Kalita, and Pethahiah, Judah, and Eleazar. Also the singers Elshihib and the gatekeepers Shalom, Talam, and Uri, and all the others, and, and of uh, others of Israel, the sons of Parush, 
Rama, Jaziah, Micaiah, Nijamin, Eleazar, Machijah, and Benaiah, the sons of Elam, Mataniah, Zechariah, Jehiel, Abdi, Jeromoth, and Eliah, the sons of Zatu, Elianoia, Elishabid, Mataniah, Jeromoth, Zabad, Azazah, and the sons of Bediah, Johananan, Hananana, Zabadai, and Ataliah, the sons of Benai, Mashulam, Maluk, Abadiah, Jashub, Shili, Ramath, of the sons of Path, Moab, Adonai, Chalai, Benaiah, Mashiah, Matananai, Belziael, Benayu, and Manasseh, and the sons of Harum, Eleazar, Ishjajah, Machjajah, Shemanah, Shemanan, Benjamin, Maluk, and Shermairiah. And the sons of Hashum, Mataniah, Mataniah, Zabdab, Ephelat, Jeremiah, Masaniah, and Shemaiah. The sons of Benaiah, Madiah, Amram, Uel, Benaiah, Bediah, Shalum, Benaiah, Marath, and El Shehib. Mataniah, and Mataniah, Jashiah, Benai, Benu, Shemaiah, Shemaiah, Nathan, Adadiah, Machtanedabiah, Shashiah, Shariah, Azariah, Shamal, Shamarah, Shalom, Amariah, and Joseph, and the sons of Nebo, Jaal, Mataniah, Zabdab, Zibinna, and Jediah, Joel, and Benaiah. All these had taken pagan wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. Thus ends the reading of God's word, and I'm so glad none of those men are in presence to know how I butchered their names. So, as this chapter opens, notice the location of the events. It's told us multiple times. For Ezra is bowing down, catch the location, before the house of God. And there, a large assembly gathers with him. <clears throat> In chapter 9, Ezra had been fasting, mourning and praying that God, has sent his, that God would send his spirit. And that the people, with the spirit sent, they were cut to the heart concerning their sin. In the presence of God, at his house, at his house, they confess their specific trespasses. What are they? They've taken pagan wives and have become polluted with the worship of their gods, the gods of this land. In all this, they acknowledge that they have broken covenant with God, their first love. In general, the people have played the harlot. They have been unfaithful to the terms of the covenant, and they have broken their vows to God. In verse 3, what are they doing? They're getting ready to renew the covenant, vowing to serve the Lord. Ezra is the representative. He's the covenant head, serving as the covenant head. So the people say they will submit and follow him. They encourage Ezra, rise up, provide leadership as instructed from God's word. Through the instructions, through these instructions, he's going to challenge them in their current practices. So they tell Ezra, be strong, be courageous that you will say the right things, you will do the hard stuff. Well, the people have been trembling. They now acknowledge that there can be no peace. There can be no prosperity unless they order their lives according to God's word. So in verse 5, they swear, they take an oath, to live according to God's word. As, is, as, are, as already been done, 
Ezra has been praying and fasting that their hearts would be pricked. They come under conviction. Now they verbally agree to take action. But there's still more heavy lifting. The seeds have been sowed. The plants are springing up. Now it's time to produce godly fruit in keeping with repentance. So in verse 6, what's Ezra doing? Praying and fasting some more. Praying for this fruit to come to full maturity. After praying and fasting in verses 7 and 8, the leaders issue a decree that all the people must gather in Jerusalem, and whoever does not come, their property is to be confiscated. Remember, the land was a gift from their Lord. Consider it like a wedding gift from their husband. Those who have sought another lover, if they continue in their affections toward these other gods, they show that they've divorced themselves from the Lord and his good gifts. In verse 9 and following, we learn that the people do indeed gather in Jerusalem three days later. It was the ninth month on the Jewish calendar. It's equivalent to our December. It was, rain, it was the rainy season in Jerusalem, and the people continued to tremble. Why? Because they were soaked with guilt. In Ezra 10, in verse 10, Ezra pulls no punches, but he says clearly, You have transgressed. You have taken pagan wives. Therefore, confess your sins. As you think about these pagan wives steeped in false worship, I want you to think about Jezebel. I don't want you to think about Ruth. I don't want you to think about Rahab. Ray, Ruth and Rahab renounced the gods of their people, the gods of their land, and they humbly submitted themselves to the Lord and his ways. Jezebel, on the other hand, what did she do? She was a devout Baal worshiper. She was at war with Jehovah and with his people. She sought to kill those who served the Lord God. She was the epitome of wickedness. No amount of makeup could cover the ugly violence that was in her heart. Jezebel, was, she was a corrupting influence, and this was felt far and wide, even for generations to come. If the men of Israel continued in the marriage with these, to these pagan wives, the holy seed would be corrupt, as demonstrated by what Jezebel was able to do. Ezra calls the people to put away these pagan wives, and even as they renew their vows to the Lord. Verse 10, verse 12, the people respond with a loud, yes, we will do it. To sort out this matter will take time and wisdom. And it was decided that the leaders from the various towns will meet with those accused of the sin. Maybe, just maybe, some of the foreign women have renounced their gods of the land and are now serving the Lord. If so, they're legitimate wives. Over the next four months, the leaders met with all the pagan wives, all those who took pagan wives and sought to sort this out, to make it right. In verse 15, we learn that there were a few men, there were a few men who resisted this effort to put things right. This is not the first time this has happened. Remember, Moses is leading the people. He's trying to lead them in paths of righteousness. Remember who resisted him? Korah, Datham, and Abiram. We're not surprised that Ezra found resistance also within the covenant people. Yet, he was told to be strong and courageous. Remember who Jesus' biggest detractors were? Was it the Romans? No. It was the people in covenant with God. It was the scribes. It was the Pharisees who were to be the shepherds of the day. 
In verse 16 and following, we learn that Ezra and the heads of the household did indeed sort this matter out. This was a public matter. It needed a multitude of counselors to work in a righteous manner. In verse 18, we find out the work starts by confronting the priests first who had taken pagan wives. After four months of hard work, the matter's finished. And notice what happens. They started this in the house of God, and notice how it finishes. They offer a sacrifice. They're still worshiping. The people have been the people have worked together to bring their lives in conformance to God's word. They understood that they were a collective body. And they needed to work together for either they grew in godliness or they were disobedient together and they would experience God's curses as a nation. Starting in verse 20 until the end of the chapter, we have this list of men who have taken pagan wives. The list first starts with the priests then the Levites and ending with the leaders of the people. If you're keeping tally, there were 17 priests, there were 10 Levites, and then there were another 86 men of the congregation. And the, indeed, these people had sinned publicly. This list was to their shame. To be on this list, to have your name on this list, was a list of shame. God has sent repentance. They were cut to the heart. And now they produced fruit in keeping with repentance. They put away these pagan wives. They did the hard work of repentance and bore righteous fruit. This to God's glory. Their names are mentioned to show that God glorifies sinners. He glorifies sinners and he works righteousness into them and their offspring for generations to come. Regarding this chapter, I think there are three applications. There are three applications I want to develop. First, the importance of worship. Second, the bravery needed by those who preach and teach. And finally, the seriousness of taking vows. Regarding worship, I already pointed out this chapter opens in the house of God. Ezra's confessing, he's weeping, he's trembling. And who's with him? All the people. They're acknowledging that God is holy. And they're also acknowledging they are not. While God has been faithful, remember what he's done? He's returned them to the land. He's provided provisions from them through the hands of the Persian kings, and yet they have not been faithful. They've broken covenant with God. Their actions, by their actions, they are seeking a divorce from God. Survey the pages of Scripture. Look at the universal response of those who have an encounter with God. None of them have demonstrated the casual attitude found in much of the modern evangelical worship services. You know, the place where Jesus is treated as a homie. Instead, well, the other part I wanted to have here is biblical worship is not a pep rally. But it's, a, it's us meeting with our holy and righteous creator of the universe. So like the saints of scripture, what's the universal response? What was Ezra and the people doing? They're falling to their face. They're confessing their sin. They're weeping and they're trembling. Here's the good news. From this humble and contrite position, God accepts our sacrifice. He accepted their sacrifice, and he raises us up. Throughout the week, we played the harlot. We have not been satisfied with God's good gifts, and we've desired many things of the world. Like an unfaithful wife, we've broken covenant with our Lord. 
But after confessing our sins, consider what Ezra and the people do next. They renewed the covenant with their Lord. And this is what we do every Lord's Day as we come to worship. We confess our sins and our Lord renews covenant with us. Instead of leaning on our, under, uh, our own understanding and letting each man doing what's right in his own eyes, what do we do? We vow. We vow to listen and obey God's word. In our day, there are many who are cut to the heart because of sin and who want to renew the, who want to renew the covenant. You know what they do. You've been in churches like this. They get rebaptized, right? They've been cut to the heart and they want to revow to God. Some, some do this multiple times in their life. Well, take note here. Take note here, right? The, the same repentant Jewish leaders, not one of them was recircumcised. The sentiment to turn and repent and seek the Lord, this is good. This is good. We need, we need not be re- be rebaptized. Instead, let us renew the covenant with our Lord. Let's do it though, each and every Lord's Day, as we confess our sins and seek to reorder our lives appropriately. This takes me to the second application. First was the importance of worship. Second is we need strong men to yield the sword, which we call the word of God. This battle that we fight is not against flesh and blood, but it's a matter of the heart. We need godly men to stand in the pulpit, like Ezra, and be brave and courageous. To speak God's word, offering no apologies. If the word offends modern sensibilities, so be it. These men who preach the gospel can have no problem passages. They need to embrace all of scripture and teach the people to order their lives appropriately. In Ezra's day, the whole community was corrupted with marriages to pagan wives, and Ezra preached faithfully. He knew his words would cause a major upheaval. Ezra did not try to be nuanced. He didn't try to be winsome. Instead, he took the the posture of a boxer, and he hit hard. In a clear, succinct manner, he told the people that they had sinned, taking pagan wives. The message was not softened with a thousand qualifiers. But his words were few, but had a sharp point. Instead of speaking in soft tones, Ezra was direct and confrontational. Before speaking in this clear manner, though, what had Ezra been doing? He'd been praying. He'd been fasting. That their hearts would respond faithfully. Christ Church of Owensboro... Will you join and follow Ezra's example? Will you pray on two fronts? Will you pray for our own hearts to be soft and receptive to God's word? Even as you pray for soft hearts, will you pray for those who preach to be brave and courageous? Every Sunday, we pray for another church. We pray for their leaders that that they would speak and act bravely. Will you pray for me? Will you pray for anyone else that fills this pulpit on a Sunday morning? that they would be brave and courageous. As we come before God, it is conviction, not coercion, that we seek. We want the Spirit to cut to our hearts, to change our affections, so that we will love that which God loves. This is the warfare we're a part of. For we are trying to take every thought captive, every affection captive, 
lest it take us captive. This brings me to my third point. As we meet with God, as you hear his word spoken, as you hear it expounded upon, we need to respond. Hearing is not enough. As we are convicted, we need to respond with action. We need to reorder our lives. We need to acknowledge that there Acknowledge that peace, prosperity, and blessing only come as we follow God and follow his ways. As Ezra preached, the people responded by swearing, by taking an oath. Indeed, they were wrong to take pagan wives, but to confess this was not enough. They swore to take action, to put them away. And what did the faithful leaders do? They held them accountable to follow through on their vows. So you may not have taken a pagan spouse, but sin resides in our hearts, it resides in our community. Like the people of Ezra's day, we're going to either stand together or we're going to fall together. Faithful worship is what changes us. It changes us, our families, and our communities. It is in worship that we meet the Almighty. By faith we see him as his word is preached, and we see ourselves. And that which we see ourselves, we see how we've fallen short. But yet, he's adopted us as sons. He's calling us to grow up, to be like our Heavenly Father, to be holy even as he is holy. Each Sunday in his presence, will you vow? Will you vow? Will you swear to put away those sinful loves of your life? If you've loved them long enough, if you've loved those sinful loves long enough, they likely have some sinful children. And other things that are filling up your day. These metaphoric children are not a blessing. <laughs> They're a curse. Will you vow to put away the sinful mother and seek our Lord? Vow to put away those sinful affections, even as they have been near and dear to your heart. This is hard work. But God has given his spirit to strengthen us. Not only, put, not only put away sinful habits, put on righteousness. Remember how the people of Ezra's day finished theirs, this work? They offered the right sacrifice. Therefore, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Put away worldliness, put on godliness. As you meet with God, tremble at his word, as his word is preached. And then respond by vowing. To follow Christ is costly indeed, but it's well worth the cost. Weekly we meet him, we meet with this God, and we likely discover new sins. Weekly we repent, we put them away. Weekly we vow to order our lives to live in conformance to God's word. As we live this way, we are becoming a holy priesthood unto God. We are becoming a special people. And that special people, we are going to be a blessing to all those around us. To live this way is to build community that will grow more and more beautiful and will grow for generations to come. The pagan world around us, there's plenty to entice us. Plenty of pleasures. Plenty of places to find ourselves embraced. Yet, these pleasures are short-lived. They're corrupting. They don't satisfy for long. They will take you hostage. They will ultimately lead you to death. Not only you, but death for generations. Instead, we are called to live in the light of our Lord's countenance, to obey his commands, 
And so love him and love our neighbors as he has instructed us. As we walk with him, there we will find life. There we will find eternal life and sweet community. Instead of chasing the pleasures of the world, vow to serve the Lord. To those broken by chasing these harlots of the world, call them to join us. Call them to renounce their former lovers, to meet our lover, to meet our Lord who has poured blessing and blessing upon blessing upon us. Congregation of God, put away those sinful affections. Find yourself united to your Lord, our lover. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, as your bride, we plead that you would continue to wash us in your word, to make us spotless and beautiful. Father, we pray this for your glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.